This is the Ogilvy Podcast. I'm Chris Saletti. And I'm Carter Pearson. Branded content is kind of like playing golf. A lot of people try it, and the majority of them are really, truly bad at it. Add to it that branded content is sort of in beta right now. Brands and media companies are figuring it out as they go along. And there's also that whole line between advertising and journalism, which really shouldn't be very murky, but gets muddied a bit within the world of branded content. But many media companies see branded content as a potentially crucial part of their business model moving forward. So it's not going away. How do you effectively produce brand work that often sits right alongside impartial news and journalistic reporting and how do you do that and maintain credibility? During Can Lions, we caught up with Sebastian Tomich, the Senior Vice President of Advertising and Innovation for the New York Times, to talk about the Times' branded content efforts, which run through their T-Brand Studio. Sebastian is proud to say that T-Brand Studio's content does not suck. Well, why not? Well, it's kind of a non-starter, um, and the shorter answer is we just hire the people who know how to do it well. So, you know, I happen to work at the New York Times and, you know, there is a 1,100-person content studio down in the newsroom who produces some of the best content in the world. So it was a pretty easy strategy just to go ahead and look at how they function, the types of people that they hire, and take that exact same model and put it into T-Brand. So from when we started to present day, now I have a 150-person editorial team ranging from design, development, videography, production, across four continents. And it... And if you look at the staff, the, the type of talent that are on board are very similar to the types of talent that are in the newsroom. It's expensive to have that type of team on board. So 150 people, 150 salaries. And so you, one, you have to make the investment. And then two, go out into the market and command enough respect to be able to get the revenue in to support that team. And we managed to pull it off, but I think there's a lot of media companies that have tried and haven't necessarily been able to do that. There could be a lot of factors, but I think the one you know, residing factor is it's the Times brand, and whether it's T-Brand Studio or the New York Times Newsroom, people want to be part of the Times mission and associated with that brand. And it's a really fun conversation when you talk to a journalist who's worked at, say, the Associated Press for their entire career, and they've never done any work with brands ever. In fact, probably at some time in their career, advertisers were probably the, kind of the, the bad side. Um, so they were the ones that they never wanted to talk to. So now I'm saying, hey, I want you to start working with them collaboratively. Um, and that whole idea of pay for play, well, that, that's your job. Um, it's an exciting conversation. And you know, once we really go into the work and we show them that even though it's branded content, it's high quality, it's original reporting, it's fact-based, and even kind of added onto that, you get to do all of that work that you've always done, plus you get to work with production budgets that are way more than any newsroom or any editorial team has ever been able to kind of pull off. So it's actually an exciting one and the talent gets, once we kind of sell them on that, um, you know, advertisers aren't heroin dealers, um, they come on board and they like it. One of the potential pitfalls when it comes to producing branded content is that there can often be too many cooks in the kitchen. In traditional marketing, the brand mostly controls the message. With branded content, the brand has to cede some level of control. That can make it tough on publishers, but they're the ones ultimately producing the content and are at least supposed to be the experts on reaching the right audience. So how do groups with often competing agendas produce something worth reading? 
the short answer is we shape our teams based around the teams of the client and the agency. And so some clients we work with, you know, you take an HP or you take um, an SAP, most actually enterprise tech companies, they'll have an editor-in-chief on staff. Um, so likely, if that brand has that type of talent on board, we don't have to staff as many editors, but we might staff them with visual storytellers. So, you know, an editor at HP might not have a team of graphic designers or creative technologists that know how to do data visualizations. So for that specific campaign, we're going to staff them with that type of team. You know, if you go into the world of CPG, um, most of them, this whole kind of brand publishing thing is relatively new. It's like true thought leadership. They never had a reason really to do this type of stuff in the past. I think it's a new world and they do. And so we provide them with a lot of the editorial expertise. Um, when it gets like into the muckety-muck of, you know, protecting the integrity of, of, um, of our work, I think the one thing we have going for us is it's actually um, bad, for, bad for results to do anything but high quality work on the times. Um, it'll, you know, I don't want to, you know, fake it. I mean, there's all, most brands, they don't, want, they don't want the work to be perceived as an ad. And if it's low quality, it's immediately going to stick out as an ad on the times. So that kind of plays to our favor. Um, if you can say to them, hey, you know, play at your own peril, but we don't advise that you do that. What work are we most proud of? Um, all of it, of course, all of our clients are our most fa are our favorite campaigns. There's no one, um, but just a couple come to mind. Um, so our work with one specific campaign, I'll just say it's like a kind of an anecdote from the field. So um, we went out to um, Qatar to kind of build up some client presence there. So we're in Doha and we did a meeting with a PR agency. And I thought we were going in there to present T-Brand. And basically the meeting ended up being the PR agency representing the government, saying the government was offended um, at one of our posts. And I thought, okay, this is interesting. Um, we are a branded content studio and ad agency. And I have you know, the Emir of Qatar asking us to do a retraction on a post we had done for a human rights organization advocating for the World Cup migrant workers. You know, we, we basically had come out through a branded post um, to say that uh, 4,000 workers were going to die building these sites. And so this was, a, this was a, you know, a piece of branded content. And everybody talks about, okay, you know, do readers treat branded content like they treat editorial? Does it have an impact? And I thought, just right there, the human rights group reached the one person they really wanted to get to, which was the Emir of Qatar. And you know, it's fascinating sitting across the table. He was asking for a traction, and I thought maybe we will be the first branded content studio to issue a retract. We didn't because we wanted to stay true to it, but I thought it was a really cool moment. Producing branded content inevitably will open up a publisher to some criticism. If you're selling your space to companies, do you really care what they say in there? Aren't you just happy to get the revenue? Is there anything you won't do? As Tomich says, so everybody just assumes that if you're in the world of branded content, you have no morals, you know, you're just, yeah, pay for play, you'll say anything, the brand, as long as the brand pays you, you'll say it. Um, it's not true. And to go back to your earlier question about talent, I mean, that's kind of a, a, you know, it's a contract that we both sign, the journalists that come to work for us and us as kind of leaders of the team, that we're still going to maintain integrity and they're going to be able to do work as journalists that they're proud of. And that means, again, Original reporting, we don't do fiction for that reason. Um, we feel like that kind of, there's too much conflict at the times to do work like that. Um, we've had numerous occasions where a brand will brief us and we just said, no way. Um, not only, it's not good for us, it's not good for you. Um, we had a pharmaceutical brand that was asking us to basically insinuate that 
by the government removing this test for preemie babies, that all of these preemie babies were going to die. Um, so we thought, okay, red flag, let's not do that. Um, we've had a few um, challenging uh, new tech companies um, wanting us to go out and say how great their products were, their executives were, and if we can't prove it, then we're not going to do it. Um, now, I don't want to say that you know, we're saints all the time. Um, just like any good PR agency, we're going to try to take you know, something that has tension around it and potentially find the positive spin. And as long as it's true, fact-based and true, we'll, we'll publish it. I don't ever want to seem like I'm living in some kind of bubble where readers at the Times are coming eagerly awaiting to check you know, the branded content news of the day. I don't think that's happening. Um, I think I'm looking for that kind of serendipitous moment where we can match a really high quality story from a brand to something that that person happened to be interested in. Um, I think that's the best thing we can hope for. And um, you know, we always say like advertising at its best is something that someone enjoys and advertising at its worst is something that's tolerable. And there's a lot of digital advertising that's not tolerable, so I think we're hoping that we can lift the quality. Um, the reader response, we still get, you know, we still get the average um, you know, subscriber who you know, be, it's very few, but a few of them will, you know, send us a message and say, you know, what is this? I didn't know you were working with brands. And we, you know, we respond back and say, look, this is totally independent from the newsroom. There's no crossover. T-Brand is its own entity, but it still takes some education. Because the everyday, you know, the everyday citizen does not know what a native ad studio is. Um, so it's still relatively new. That said, we get a lot of positive feedback just about the quality. I mean, the, the stories are still great. I think we have a little bit of a bias in the industry to say, oh, it's branded, it's an advertorial, all that. But to the reader, if it's a great story, I think it can have an impact and they can enjoy it. As you can tell, Tomich is proud of the work T-Brand Studio has produced. And he should be. There's some good branded content out there, and T-Brand is responsible for some of that. And it will probably only get better at T-Brand and elsewhere. But Tomich told us something fascinating when we asked him to envision the future of T-Brand. So well, is, it's kind of fitting because I'm in the walls of Ogilvy. Um, I'm like fascinated by studios and you know, how publishers and agencies and marketers will all work together in the future. Um, I think the biggest, the single biggest issue right now is how is this all going to get paid for? Um, the, the, the thought of a publisher charging for time is very foreign to most marketers. But the reality is, is that if you look, the only way that we can make enough money to support this type of work going into the future, it's been a fun experiment to date. But the sustainable business model has to be that we get paid for our time. And that's much more like an agency. And that, we've not crossed that, that hurdle yet. So that to me is like the single biggest issue. And then kind of subsequent from that, it's going to be, you know, where is the money coming from? So, you know, if you look at a publisher, we've traditionally played in media budgets and we charge for an asset delivery. We're really doing creative agency work. And you know, we're gonna do scoping and rounds of review and we're gonna have teams of strategists and account managers. That money's gonna have to come from somewhere and it's likely gonna have to come from creative budgets and PR budgets and experiential budgets. And these are budgets that our clients, agencies, have played in. So you know, the new world, I see it as um, scary. Um, I see it as exciting for us, as long as you know, we're one of the ones who win. Um, and then third, I see it as very collaborative. We're going to have to get very nimble about, you know, how we all work together.
And a big thank you to Sebastian Tomic again for his time and for a really great conversation back a few weeks ago in Cannes. And right now I'm here with my co-host, Carter Pearson. Carter, how are you? Doing all right, doing all right. All right, we want to talk about branded content. And so I want to ask you, do you think most branded content sucks? Yes. Unequivocally, yes. But I think the reason for that is because when most people think of branded content, they don't think of the beautiful VR experiences created by the Times or highly tailored content created by the Atlantic. They think of the four weird articles that you see at the bottom of ESPN.com, two of which are about celebrity plastic surgery right. and one right. of which yeah. is like a weird political conspiracy theory. Yeah. It's yeah. The, the, the outbrain type of content is what people really think of and the biggest way people are exposed to branded content. Right, right, right. So so then how do we sort of, how do, how do uh, brands and media companies and, and, and agencies like sort of change that uh, perception? So how, I mean, and I guess I think they do that by creating good branded content. Right. But so I guess what does that look like to you? What does a good piece of branded content look like? I think, I think it, it starts off with the brand agency media partner all working together on getting on the same page with their message before they do anything because you're going to have these different partners wanting to say different things right you have the brand who wants to get their message out there we just created x new product our employees achieved x whatever that message is and then you have the media company that says well no 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 like we have to talk about something that our readers will care about and then maybe we weave in your message into that article. Right. And it's, I think, in that case, the agency's job to act as a, a mediator between the two that allows their, their client, you know, we're the shepherds of the brand, so we have to, to get that brand message out there. But we also have to understand that, you know, we're working with these media partners for a reason because they understand their distribution networks, they understand their readership, and it's our job to make sure that whatever is created is something that will seem worthwhile and worth spending time with to their readership. Right. So I think it it ends up, you can only create good branded content if you understand your message and your end audience, and those things are nicely synced together. Right, and I guess the way to sync them together is is picking the right publication to work with. Is, you know, who are you gonna, who do you wanna get your story to, and, what outlets are those people reading? That's, you've got to find that perfect match, I think. Right. I think that's, I think that's completely true. I think it, it's almost like the nichification, which is not a word, of our... <laughs> it's, a, it's a word now. It's a word now. <laughs> of our day-to-day -day lives, where if you read a, a story about, let's say, like a weather event in four different news publications, you know, you're going to have CNN that says there was a hurricane, you're going to have MSNBC and The Times that say there was a hurricane and extreme weather is coming because of climate change and you're going to have Fox News that says there was a hurricane and it destroyed, you know, X dollars worth of business, um, but there's nothing to see here. Um, <laughs> so I think you have, to, you have to understand what your audience is reading and you probably, if you have a, a message that you want to appeal to that wide group of, of readership, you probably have to tailor that message differently. Um, to those specific audiences, so you could be say, talking about the same message, but it should be tailored to to who you're trying to reach. And I don't. This does bring in some issues about, you know, is that genuine? Right. 
and I think I think in a way it could be it could definitely be seen as as disingenuous. But if you're talking about a product or a service that you think has value to all of these people, you want to talk about it in a way that will resonate with them, regardless of their any sort of leanings or uh, proclivities in life. You know, yeah. If you're looking at a sports publication you're going to talk about your product in a different way than if you're looking at, like, a cooking publication. It's right. just, you know. Yeah, and, I mean, one thing that uh, that Sebastian said that, that I thought was really, um, you know, was, was really smart is that at the end of the day, it's, it's sort of just about, like, is the story good? Like, we've talked a lot about, like, matching the right, like, do you want, you want to find the right people and what are they reading? And, like, you know, there's, there's different sort of slants to different publications, but, like, you know, the the content itself just needs to be good. Yeah, and I think there's a there's a time and a place for branded content, right? Right. And I think it, it only makes sense to do it if you have that good story. Yeah. If you just have a new type of Swiffer, I don't know if branded content is necessarily the way you want to take that launch. Right. That you know, that's more ripe for regular product advertising, you know, a commercial, a banner ads, that kind of stuff. Right. Branded content is when I think it's most valuable when you have a complex emotional story with a beginning, middle, end, and conflict. So you can actually get into the meat of an issue, why something helps with it, and then hopefully it helps to resolve your problem. Right. What's interesting too about this for, for me is like you you get a sense that it seems like it seems like it might be the case that like really good branded content is like something that you don't know is branded content. Mm -hmm. Like it's a great story and it's this invigorating thing that you want to read. Like if you're talking about something in T-Brand Studio, it's like it sits in the New York Times on their website or something and it's like, what a great story. Like I didn't even know that was a sponsored poster, but yeah. branded content. Like I think that's great for the, for the brand. I don't know how good that is for readers though. Right. It, you know, and I don't want to be alarmist, but... It, I think it does, there, it does need to be clear in a sense right. that it's paid for. But then also you throw that sort of sponsored by logo on top and that kind of kills it. Kills it. Nobody, you nobody, could, nobody reads. Like when, and, uh, yeah. when people, people do read. I won't say no one reads. No. But right. I think when you, when you see that, you're immediately like your antenna goes up a little bit more. Yes. And if you're not hooked within the first you know, right. two sentences, you're out. And even and it, it, it almost one of those things that could just like screw the whole thing up altogether. Like once you once you know that it's sponsored, mm -hmm. there's going to be a lot of people out there that are just not going to give it any yeah. and it could be really engaging, really well written, like a beautiful piece, but psychologically like they see that and that's like, you know, it could be like one of those like it's like a taste test type thing. Yeah. I don't know, it's an interesting thing. I'm I'm really interested to see how it's like how this evolves in the future because well, it's going to it's uh, as as we said earlier in the in the the podcast like it, this is not going away. No. And I think I think the issue with the the labeling, I think it should be clearly labeled. If you're if you have something in the Times, you, you can't give, you can't let a business pay for the full weight of the New York Times. That's right. That's not okay. Yeah, which is not something they're doing. But no, no, no. You know. I'm just saying they're clear, right. they're clearly labeling. Yes. But um, I think that comes back to the fact right now that most branded content from other sources is pretty bad. So it's sort of poisoned the well. Right. So right. you see it and you assume, oh, this is going to not be good. So it's up to reputable news agencies as they get into the branded content world to sort of change that perception and say, 
okay, you know, branded content in the past has been awful. Right. We're going to fix it while maintaining our editorial rigor. Yeah. Yeah. Our authenticity. Yeah. Exactly. This has been an Ogilvy production. Our sound engineer is Ken Meyer, and our music and special effects are produced by Alan Hotchkiss. Mm-hmm. You, you, you gonna-